0: Welcome to episode number eight of the Gospel for Everyone. In this episode, we're going to learn about why following your heart may be one of the greatest lies Satan wants us to believe. Recently, Jason spoke at a church in Birmingham where he shared this wonderful message, and we thought it would be a great two part episode for our podcast. Here's Jason with the first of a two part message called Stop Following Your Heart.
1: Over 150 years ago, there was a Christian philosopher by the name of Soren Kierkegaard, and and he wrote a parable about a couple of robbers who broke into a jewelry store. And what makes this parable really interesting is that these robbers did something very strange. They didn't steal anything. They just took the high price tags off the expensive jewelry, and they put them on the costume jewelry. (laughs) Then they did the same thing with the other price tags. They took the bargain price tags off the costume jewelry and, and put those on the really expensive jewelry and then they they wiped down their fingerprints and locked the door and left. And so the next day the jewelry store opened for business as usual and and in fact for the next several days no one noticed at all that folks were coming in and buying $10,000 worth of jewelry for just a few dollars. And that others would come in and they were buying these cheap necklaces for thousands of dollars. And by the time the jewelry store owner figured out what had happened, it was all too late. All of his expensive merchandise had been sold for next to nothing. And I tell you that story because it communicates a truth. I don't know if that story is true, if that literally happened that way. But that story communicates a truth. And that truth is this. We live in a world where the price tags have been rearranged. The world's economy, the things that are considered valuable according to worldly wisdom, okay, those things are are oftentimes not in line with the things that God values. And vice versa, the things that God says in his word that are important to him, matters of Mercy and justice and righteousness, for instance. Jesus says that the Pharisees have neglected these, these weightier matters. Okay, Oftentimes in the world, those things don't seem to matter quite as much. And so you see all of this really clearly in, in one particular area, and that is how the world seeks to define the good life. If you go up to somebody and you say, hey, what does it mean to live the good life? What, what sort of answer Do you think you would get, especially from an unbeliever, from someone who's just formed and shaped by our culture or by social media or politics and the narrative that's there or or whatever? The world's answer to this question about the good life has become really popular in recent years. And, And I can summarize at least one really popular way the world would answer that question this way. The world says, that the good life is found by following your heart. According to, to, to worldly wisdom, that is one of those items where we have, we've put a really high price tag on that. Our world values this idea of following your heart. We've said elsewhere, that's the gospel of God. Disney that's the gospel of Hollywood you find this kind of message embedded in so much of our popular entertainment these days whether it's 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 the the line be true to yourself or pursue your dreams, or believe in yourself. All those things come back to this essential idea, the same idea, which is you need to just follow your heart. You do what is right for you. Don't let anybody hold you back. You do you, and you follow your heart, and you will be okay. That message is embedded in so much of our entertainment today. Sometimes we use the, the the value system that Hollywood gives us. We think, okay, we're letting our children watch something. It's it's PG, it's rated G, and okay, that that's fine. That means it it doesn't contain some of the things that we want to let our or don't want our kids to be exposed to things like you know violence or coarse language or this or that. And that's fine. But I noticed this a few years ago as my children were younger and we were watching some of this material, the the worldview that's embedded in there. Sure, nobody was dropping four letter words. And there wasn't any violence in these, in these Disney films, but it kept coming back to this baseline message, which again, we're talking about here, follow your heart. And so what does that really mean? Maybe you've said that to someone, maybe you've heard it before. What, what does it mean to follow your heart? Well, sociologists refer to this a different way. They refer to it as expressive individualism. That was a term that was kind of new to me until recently, expressive individualism. So philosophically, expressive individualism is based on this idea that each one of us has our own unique way of realizing the true self that is buried within so according to expressive individualism, you should never conform to the model that is imposed on you from the outside, but instead you should always strive to unlock this authentic self that's that's buried somewhere on the inside. There's one author who has written a book about the importance of following your heart, and so he has a, a blog that accompanies that. And on this blog, he says that That following your heart is really about listening to the feelings that you have about the decisions you need to make in your life. That just sounds like so much of our culture today. He actually talks in this blog about listening to his heart and how that helped him do, of all things, buy a house. (laughs) You'd think, you know, the the largest financial commitment of your life, you know, you probably wanna factor in uh, something else, but he says, no, no, no following my heart helped me buy this house. I want want to read just a couple of lines from this author. He says, I listened to the feelings my heart sent me, and eventually we found the right house. As I live life, he says, it's like I have cat whiskers all over my body. I feel what is right and what is not. I default to listening to my inner GPS Not to some external source, whether that's family or friends or even a world expert. I know what is needed in my life. If I blindly follow advice from others, I'll end up unhappy because no one can know what will work for me. So listen to this as he closes. So following your heart means listening to your inner guidance. Or to put it in modern terms, listening to your inner GPS. He says, we all have a guidance system within us waiting to help us. You just have to be willing to listen. That's what the world means by follow your heart. And it's just about the most Disney thing in the world. It's the most oprified theology of life. You hear this in so many sectors. We almost believe it to be true just because you hear it so often. You know, but Pinocchio's When You Wish Upon a Star, Cinderella's A Dream is a Wish Your Your Heart Makes. Disney has been selling this stuff for a long, long time. The idea that all you have to do to find truth is to look within, right? To listen to that inner guidance. And, and hey, that is a really compelling and powerful vision for life because it allows your inner Feelings, your inner intuition to be the basis for what's right and wrong, which is why that view is so popular today. One Christian author that I've been reading recently, his name is Mark Sayers, and he summarizes some of the beliefs that are really dominant in this expressive individualist society. I want to read a few of these. Maybe we can make these available to you in the show notes as well. Here are a few of these beliefs that are dominant in an expressive individualist society. Number one, in a culture like ours, the highest good is individual freedom and happiness and self-expression. You see that in our culture today? That we have elevated freedom and and, and choice and self-expression to, to new levels in our culture, right? Even so much so that that matters of, of even something like gender up until now, up until recently, you know, that was just a category assigned to you at birth, but not any longer. That's a, That's a matter of self-expression according to our culture. Number two, anything that restricts your individual freedom, your happiness, your self-definition, and your self-expression. Things like tradition or religion or whatever, those things must be reshaped or deconstructed or destroyed. That one ought to get our attention. But these are these are the beliefs that are that are dominant in this kind of culture. Number three, the world will inevitably improve, or so it goes, as the scope of individual freedom grows. Number four, the primary social ethic is tolerance of everyone's self-defined quest for individual freedom and self-expression. So when someone comes to you and they say, I've I've made this decision, whether you agree with it or not, if it's moral or not, based on on your understanding of the scriptures or morality or whatever, you're in this spot where if tolerance is kind of like the ultimate social ethic, then all you can say is what you hear so often in our culture, well, I just want you to be happy. Number five, humans are inherently good. And that if you would just look to the inner GPS, it will lead you to the place of moral correctness. Number six, large-scale structures and institutions are suspicious at best and evil at worst. And then finally, Sayers summarizes this final point. He says, forms of external authority under this view are rejected and forms of personal authenticity are to be celebrated. So, the world tells us repeatedly, time after time after time, the world tells us that we ought to follow our hearts. And again, that's based on this philosophy, this idea that moral knowledge comes from within. All you need to do is just follow your inner GPS and you will be all right. But that's not what the scriptures have to say. Again, that's the gospel of Hollywood and Disney and Oprah, but it is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to pivot here and take just a few minutes as we wind down this particular episode just to talk through a couple of scriptures that specifically speak to this, that specifically undermine this way of thinking. Because according to the Bible, we should not follow our hearts. I know that may not be popular for people to hear today, but again, it's, it's worth repeating. According to God's word, we should not follow our hearts. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, the prophet says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and it is desperately sick. And then he says, Who is? Can understand it. The heart is deceitful above all things. So, according to God's word, if you follow your heart, guess what? It will lead you astray every time because the heart is deceptive and it's desperately sick. That word that is used there for deceitful in Jeremiah 17, it's also found in Isaiah chapter 40. And over in Isaiah, it describes uneven and rocky ground. Picture that, okay? It is not a solid. Path. So if we follow our hearts, guess what? We're stepping out into this uneven, rocky ground because we're trusting a faulty GPS. We're trusting a deceitful GPS. That same word over in Hosea chapter 6, verse 8 is translated as stained. So again, it's deceitful, it's uneven and rocky and stained. That's the range of meaning with this word God uses to describe the human heart. That's one of the major problems we have when it comes to this follow your heart morality. According to God's word, the human heart, it's a faulty GPS. It'll lead you to uneven and rocky ground every single time. Imagine if, if Google Maps or Waze or, or Apple Maps, if you use that, if it were, if it were constantly leading you astray. You know, every turn you take is just the wrong one. How many times would you continue to go back to using that particular navigation app? It probably wouldn't be long before you'd be ready to punt on that. And according to the Bible, that's the way it is with the human heart. It's not a trustworthy GPS, it's going to lead you astray and deceive you every single time because we can't use our own feelings as the basis for morality. Uh, in order for something to be morally good or morally bad it has to be universally good or bad so what's morally you know good for you might actually turn out to be bad for me and for everybody else and for you which makes the whole thing inconsistent so so here's an example of what i mean and i and i wish that this weren't the the most common expression of this but it's flawed logic for the 40-year-old husband and father to leave his wife and his kids and run off with a younger co-worker, okay? But according to the world's morality, we're supposed to just accept this. Because again, hey, he's just following his heart, right? And if we if we go by those uh, the, those benchmarks of this expressive individualist society, all we're left to say in a, in a culture where tolerance is the highest ethic is, okay, man, hey, I, I just want you to be happy, you know, that that sort of thing. And he'll oftentimes come up with the same sort of justification for his actions, sometimes even, even invoking the name of God. Well, you know, God just wants me to be happy. That's why it's okay for me to run off and leave my wife and my children. But in his effort to say that that's morally acceptable for him, he's going to overlook the pain that he's actually inflicting upon his wife, who he made a covenant vow to 20 years ago, and his children— and so even if you don't believe what the scriptures have to say, you have to acknowledge the moral inconsistency with this kind of thing. What's supposedly good for him actually turns out to be bad, both for him and for everyone else involved here. So so it's illogical to argue that if you're just going to follow your heart, you're going to land in this place of moral correctness and, and rightness. That's not what God's word says to us. And what I love is that God's word is still as relevant and powerful today as it was all those years ago, and that through, through through Jeremiah, a prophet who lived before the time of Jesus, God is able to speak a word that is relevant to our culture today. There's another set of passages in Genesis Genesis chapter six, verse five, and Genesis chapter eight, verse twenty one. These passages kind of bookend the story there of the flood, but they talk about the human heart in in the same kind of language that Jeremiah spoke of. Genesis 6-5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was on evil continually. That's at the beginning of the flood story. You fast forward to Genesis 8 verse 21, when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. So even though Jeremiah was writing, centuries later. The truthfulness of his statement about the human heart is confirmed here even in Genesis. These were the days, again, leading up to and immediately after the flood, and those people were led astray by the evil thoughts of their hearts. And this is something we have to contend with all the time, according to God's Word, even from our youth. So in the Bible, the word heart is is more than just the seat of emotions. We think of the heart because of Hallmark, you know, because of uh, Valentine's Day, we think of the heart as this, this place of romantic feeling. And, you know, that's, that, that's true enough. It's just not the complete story. When we talk about making a decision, we'll point to the mind, not the heart. But in the ancient world, they talked about decisions being made in your heart. That's why God says here in Genesis 8, the Lord said in his heart, I'm not going to curse man again, even though his intentions in his heart are evil from his youth, okay? So the point is that according to the Bible, if we're left to our own devices, if we have nothing to follow but our own heart without some sort of, some sort of instruction from outside, then we will land on evil Every single time. One final passage, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 3. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. The, The writer of Ecclesiastes, this guy is known for being really direct, and that's certainly true in this passage here. He says that our hearts are full of evil and madness, and then we die. (laughs) so uh so just kind of putting all those scriptures together to summarize okay according to God's word at a very early age from our youth the human heart is deceptive it is desperately sick it is full of evil even madness and so that just begs the question, why in the world would we ever want to follow our hearts? Join us for the next episode, and we'll unpack this a little more. We'll talk about the biblical response, what God has to say, not just about how evil our hearts are, but what God wants to do about that.
0: All right, so there you have it the world really wants us to believe in this idea of following your heart Uh, let's face it we've heard that everywhere haven't we Uh, from children's books to self-help books and all points in between i think we've heard that message all our lives so next time in part two jason's going to help us understand that instead of having us follow our hearts god wants to give us a new heart thanks for joining us this episode we'll catch you next time